Okay, well, today we're in the book of Daniel. If you have a Bible, let's open there. Daniel chapter 9. And there's a lot here. You know, I think the heart of the the, the chapter has to do with just um, getting right with the Lord, you know, and uh, and especially the, the whole concept of confession. How many of you here, um, just out of curiosity, prior to becoming Christians, were uh, raised maybe in the Catholic Church, just out of curiosity? And so you guys remember what it was, how we used to confess our sins to a priest? Do you guys remember that? We would go in there with our list. We'd say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been 10 years since my confession, uh, last confession, and these are my sins. And, you know, we used to do that. And that was kind of always awkward for me. I kind of held a lot back, to be honest with you. But, you know, when we become a Christian, a lot of times we don't confess anymore. You know, and, and, and we go to the other extreme. Um, and we're supposed to confess. We're supposed to come to the Lord and bring our, 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 our sins before Him because we want to be right with God, you see? And we're going to see that in our chapter today. I actually read a story of a king. Uh, he was King Frederick the Great, who was once touring a Berlin prison. And as he traveled throughout that prison and he went through all the different facilities of that prison, uh, all the prisoners would fall on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence. Your majesty, I'm innocent. Your majesty, I didn't do it. Your majesty, I don't deserve to be here. And throughout the whole prison, they were asking for that mercy based on their innocence. And so he's going through, and then he kind of came through one guy who was silent. And so he asked this guy who was silent, why are you here? And the guy said, armed robbery, your majesty. And then the king asked him, well, are you guilty? And he said, yes, your majesty. I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and said to him, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in a prison in which he will corrupt all the fine, innocent people who currently occupy it. (laughs) You know, and there's a there's like a little message there, you guys. Oh, the power of a guilty plea. God, I'm guilty. Not him, not her, not he or she, but me. I'm guilty. And God says, okay, now I can work in your life. Because when we're here, we're claiming our innocence, our blamelessness, our righteousness. I don't think God will work the way he wants to work. I, you know, in all honesty, I wonder how much of the things that we're going through today are a result of our sin. You know, a lot of times we don't think about it. You know, God disciplines us in different forms. It might be severely. It might even be subtly. You know, where he withholds blessings from us. We've got to search our hearts. You know, either way, you guys, we have to come to this place of truly repenting and seeking the Lord. And I think that we're going to see that in our chapter today where Daniel encourages us along these lines, which this chapter, I'll be honest with you, is, and I, and I guess I have to say this every time, but it really is potentially a life-changing passage. Because uh, look what we read here in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. You know, Daniel is a book of prophecy. But it's also a book of purity. Daniel's a book of God's sovereignty, but it's also a book of human responsibility. And when we look at prophecy, a lot of people, they're like, you know, I'm, you know, a prophecy buff. Cool. But how how you live in your life? Chuck Smith said this. He said, the reading of prophecy should always inspire us to pray and worship. 
And that's what happened with Daniel. We're going to see as we, he's reading the book of Jeremiah, he realizes that the prophecy is almost fulfilled. And what does he do? He prays and, and he worships. You know, we read here in verse 1, it was the first year of Darius, uh, the son of Ahasuerus. And uh, this was probably the year 539 B.C., now, if you study, you remember that way, way, probably about 67 years earlier, Daniel had been taken away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So let's just say Daniel was taken away when he was 12 years old. We'll just say that. Okay, now it's, uh, you know, 67 years later, 68 years later. I mean, he's about 80 years old at this point in his life, right? And, uh, and what is he doing well, I love what we read right here. It says right here in the first year of his reign in verse 2, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through who? Through Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What's he doing at 80 years old? He's studying the Bible. He's studying the Bible. How long has he been studying the Bible? All his life. All his life. From a little boy, his parents began pouring into him as a Jewish little boy. He's been memorizing the scriptures, memorizing the law from five years old. He's been studying the Bible all his life. And now here he is, 80 years old, and he doesn't come to a place where like he's like, okay, I don't need to read anymore. You know, I kind of have it all down. No, he is... Not just reading the Bible, but he is studying the Bible. And after all this time, he gets like new insight from the scriptures. And he kindly, he finally comes to this place. And for whatever reason, we know the Lord knows the perfect timing for everything. Where he hears the word that he needs to hear. You need to read the Bible so you can hear the word that you need to hear. So that God can speak to you today for the days that we're living in. It doesn't matter if you're a new believer or an old believer. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80 years old. Daniel here is such an awesome example of a man of the word. And he's studying the word. And God shows him something that would change everything. And we're going to see the way it works. You know, prophecy is cool. You know, and, you know, we look, okay, God's going to do a great work. But then it prompts us to be a part of that work. For example, one of the most, you guys know what the most repeated prophecy in the Bible is? The most repeated prophecy in the Bible is the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see that throughout the scriptures. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, the Lord told John. And so you know what John prayed? He prayed, come, Lord Jesus, come. He prayed, Maranatha. And God said, I'm coming. And John didn't say, cool. He said, come. You see, and that's what happens when, you know, Daniel is reading the prophecy and hey, 70 years is about to be up. People are going to get back to the, to the homeland of Jerusalem. He didn't just say, oh, thumbs up, Lord. <laughs> no, he went down on his knees and he started praying, Lord, let it be. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, finish the work in me. You said you would, Lord, finish the work in me. Lord, let me finish the work that you've called me to do. See, there's a sovereignty and then there's a responsibility. When you look at prophecy, God drives you to prayer and to worship. And here is Daniel and he's reading the Bible. Now, notice right there, it says that he was reading the books, plural. So more than likely, he's reading the book of Jeremiah, and he's reading a commentary by Pastor Chuck Smith, right? More than likely, not just joking. <laughs> you know, he's reading probably Jeremiah, maybe even over in Hosea. He might even be reading uh, Second Chronicles. But let's go to Jeremiah, because this is so amazing to me. In Jeremiah chapter 25... And he's reading the scroll in verse 9. It says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, 
and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. You know, so Jeremiah, remember, prophesied um, that calamity would come to Jerusalem. All the other prophets were saying, peace, 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 when there was no peace. Judgment was coming, right? So Jeremiah prophesied it would happen prior to it actually happening. But in verse 12, Daniel kept reading and it says, Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it, now he's speaking about Babylon, a perpetual desolation. And so I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah had prophesied concerning all the nations. And so, you know, Daniel was reading this. Daniel was studying it. It would be kind of like this, if I could just say this, you know, somehow, some way, the Lord said, well, you, you figured it out through the scriptures, that Jesus was coming in, we'll just say, two or three years. And so what would you do? Um, you'd let a fire inside of you. You'd go evangelize everybody, and you'd pray. And that's what Daniel did. Wow, the time's about up. As he's reading the scriptures, this is beautiful. As a matter of fact, there's another passage he may have been reading, or maybe both, but if you go over to Jeremiah 29... He could have been reading this. It says in verse 10, Jeremiah 29, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. There it is again, 70 years. It's also mentioned in Second Chronicles 36, 20 through 21. What had happened was the, the nation of Israel, they were supposed to let the land rest. Every seven years, they were not to sow or till or they were supposed to trust the Lord. They never did. So God gave them 70 years for every year. Every year, God gave them the 70-year sentence along with all the other sins. It was all part of a reflection of the fact that the people were not really in love with God. They were not really in love with God. And so they were sentenced and so Daniel's reading it, and he says, yeah, but Lord, it says 70 years. And so the time is up. You know, and that right there, to me, I get so blessed when I think of this encouraging word to us. You know, even in your own life, I wonder how many of us are sentenced right now. I wonder, like, God is a just God. You know, whatever you sow, you will also reap. Do you know that? God is merciful, and, you know, he could give us a lot worse, but, you know, over our heads, there's a looming judgment or sentence. I even think of the city of Almani sometimes, and I wonder, you know, it was, did you know that the city of Almani had the very first Protestant church in Southern California? You know, there were Catholic churches everywhere, but it was the first Protestant church in Southern California at one time very different than it is now. And I remember when we first started the church, the Lord ministered to me. He says, my sentence is over that city. There's a judgment over this city. There's a judgment looming on this nation. But what if, what if, what if the sentence is just about served? What if in your own life, as God has dealt with you and withheld blessings from you because of your disobedience to him, what if that sentence is just about to end? You know, we got to know this, that God intends good for everything that happens to us. And we got to know this, that God has a future. God has a future. You know, we, we see the, the plaques of Jeremiah 29 11, and they're everywhere. This is the context. This is the context. Because God says, 70 years, it's all done. And then look what we read in verse 11. 
For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. You see... In our own life, and again, I don't know where we are in all this, you know, but I, I, in my own life, it's just so amazing to me to think that God has a future for me. That not just a future in my home in heaven, but a future in the land of the living. Right here, God, David said, I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so the Lord is saying, the sentence is almost such, Israel, you know, you're an astonishment. I mean, the way that they were wiped out, the way that the people of God were wiped out because of their sin, it made everybody's ears, you know, itch. I mean, people were tripping. And God says, people think that you don't have a future. People think that you're done, but you're not done. God says, you want to know why? Because I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And that's amazing to me that God would ever think of me, of us, of you. But yet Psalm 139 says, if you were to add up all the thoughts that I think towards you, they would be more than the sands of the sea. Do you realize how much God is thinking of you and dreaming for you? way, way beyond our wildest imagination, way beyond the trivial things that we have thought for ourselves. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And again, it might end there, but the Lord says, this is the way it's going to work. I am going to bless your life. But this is what's going to happen when, when you when you read this, when you discover this, when you come to that crossroads in your life, when you come to that juncture in your journey, you will finally seek me with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You're going to go. You're going to pray. And when you do. I promise you, you're going to find me. See, and that's what we read right here. That's what, you know, undoubtedly, you know, Daniel's reading. And Daniel, you know, the Lord says, I'm going to bring you guys back. And, you know, the farthest places from the earth. And because when God judges people, man, they went everywhere. The northern kingdom went to Assyria. You know, the southern kingdom went to Babylon. And they were then sold as slaves the Bible talks about that. They were sold as slaves. Some people didn't even want to buy them. That's how bad it was. I mean, they were just scattered everywhere. And for us, I think that the message is it doesn't matter how far you have drifted, how far you've traveled, how far you've been disciplined, how far you're gone. It doesn't matter. God said, I will bring you back to where you belong. Because this is your land. I have a land for you flowing with milk and honey. And so this is undoubtedly, you know, these are the things that that Daniel is reading. And he's like, wow, 70 years, it's almost up, right? And so what ends up happening, if you go back to Daniel, he doesn't just kick back and say, whoopee. He doesn't just do that. He he, says in verse 3, of Daniel 9, and then I set my face toward the Lord God to, to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel set his face toward the Lord. Where are your eyes? Where is your focus? On him and her and he and she, on me? Get your eyes off all of them. Get your eyes on the Lord. 
And you start seeking Him with everything you are. You know, one translation said, I prayed earnestly, fasting from meals, weeping with rough penitential burlap and kneeling in ashes. You know, this is what happens whenever God does a work. I know if I was to ask you guys right here, we would take a piece of paper. Okay, who wants God to do a great work? Everybody say, I do. Right? I do. Situation I'm in, I need God. We need a miracle in this country. We see what our president is doing, and it's just insane. You know, negotiating with these people. I mean... Is there hope? Oh, there's hope. If we understand what, what we're talking about here, we've got to seek the Lord with everything that we are. We have to set our face toward the Lord. Nehemiah did the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You're like, I fasted last Thursday, Manny. I didn't have Doritos all day, you know? I didn't eat all day. Cool. And you know what? I'm not trying to make light of that in any way, shape, or form. It was a blessing. We fasted. We prayed. I believe God is starting a work, but it's just the beginning. I mean, are you, okay, are you really seeking the Lord? Are you mourning? Are you mourning over your sins? No, I'm mourning over his sins. Mourn over your own sins. Put some burlap you know, cloth on and put some ashes on your head and kneel in ashes. This is what they did. Why would they do that? That's kind of weird. Because the severity of the sins hit them. And they began to mourn. That's what Daniel did. That's what Nehemiah did. And this is what we need to do. Daniel began to pray for the gracious restoration of God's people to his land. And in that, he fasted and clothed himself in sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of mourning and repentance. You see, Daniel realized that God desires us to claim his promises in prayer. And thus, we have a fulfillment of divine prophecy. I believe that God looked down the corridors of time and God saw the way that Daniel would respond, the way that others would respond. And he said, oh, yeah, after 70 years, I'm going to make things right. See, but but we got to do this really. Look at verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. I mean, you know, we knew Daniel was a man of prayer, because we read that in Daniel 6, that he'd been praying ever since he was a kid, and he would always pray three times a day, And we saw the answers to prayers, right, in Daniel chapter 1 and uh, Daniel chapter 2. But it's interesting now to see some of the content of his prayer. And the content of his prayer we see here consisted primarily in confession. You know, and that's why I was saying earlier, you might not confess to a priest, but you should confess to God. And you know, sometimes I think all we do is say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And then we go on and we say, give me a Hummer, that type of stuff, right? And the God is saying, no, I want to meddle with the middle. I want to handle the heart. I want you to be a holy people to me. See? And, and Daniel here is so cool. I'm going to tell you guys this, and I don't want you to take it wrong, but I want you to know it's motivated by a heart of love. I want God's best for you. Nothing will happen in your life until you deal with the sin. Don't expect God to do all these wonderful things until you deal with the sin. 
And when I say confess your sins, when the Bible says confess your sins, it's not just, well, say it, you know, and, and move on. We're talking about dealing with it. We're talking about agreeing that it's sin. We're talking about asking God for the grace for forgiveness and asking God for the grace to overcome that sin and to move on, to repent, to put it behind you and move on to new challenges. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. But you have to admit you can get closer to your destination. None of us have arrived, but you can become more and more like Jesus. In one sense, dealing with the sin in our life was like a scavenger hunt. You guys remember those? Those are kind of fun, huh? You go and they give you a clue, right? And so you go over there and you find that one thing and then you kind of have another clue. And then you go and you find that thing, right? That's kind of how it is in our life. Um, Search my heart, Lord, and show me my sin. Show me if there's any wickedness, any errors. and Show me, Lord, because I can't see it. And then, you know, you get the clues, and then you go and you deal with it, and then you're going to have to go and deal with others. It'll never end, but one at a time. And we make progress as God's people. That's what Daniel did, and we have to deal with the sin. A very familiar passage I, I share with you all the time is Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I cherish, literally cherish that sin, if I don't want to let go, you're here, you're living in sexual sin, you're here and you know, you're, you're doing uh, drugs or you're doing alcohol, you're abusing your wife or your kids, you know, you're stuck on yourself, maybe it's pride. You know, I don't know what it is in all of our lives, but God wants us to overcome. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Here the Hebrew word translated confessed is a fascinating word found 113 times in the Bible. 53 of those times it is translated to praise. Imagine that. The same word translated confessed is translated to praise. Now this right here is in the Hithphael stem, so it's different. It's definitely speaking of confession. But to me, when I think of it, I think in light of the close connection, how our confession can in many ways be seen as a necessary praise to God. You guys, it's time. It's time. I think from what I've seen as a pastor, and I don't know everything, but from the little that I've seen, I think that there are too many people in the church that are too caught up in the sins of other people, in the lives of other people, when, you know what, if God shows you to confront them, go talk to them, but stop talking behind their backs. That's not biblical. You deal with your own sin. You get your own life right. And if we all have that heart, God's going to do what he's going to do, and it's going to be amazing. But we have to deal with the sin, right? Right? We can't cherish it. We can't harbor it. We have to confess it. We have to forsake it so that God can do a good work. You know, God is willing to forgive us. When we read right here again, look at, at verse 4. It says, O Lord, great and awesome. I mean, and, and I pray to the Lord my God, make confession, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, God will be merciful to us. God won't give us, you know, that full sentence that we deserve, right? That's what mercy is. And that's who God is. Exodus 20, verse 6, it says, But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments, God will show mercy. When Solomon was praying and dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, 47 through 48, you can read it later, he was just saying, Lord, when the day comes, because... In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, God said it straight. God said it clear. God said, listen, if you do these sins, if you're acting like the rest of the world, you know, with their abominations, if you do them, then I'm going to kick you out of the land. He just made it straight out. This is what I'm going to do. But this is what he also said in 1 Kings 8. We see it there. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. If you get right 
and you pray towards Jerusalem, you pray towards the temple, you pray towards heaven, then I'll bring you back. See, and Daniel knew that. And so Daniel began to pray. Daniel began to stand on God's promises. Daniel identified with the sins of the people. A lot of times we are like, well, the world is so wicked. The world is so bad. Those, you know, terrible people out there. And we don't assume any responsibility for it. Why is the world so bad? A lot of times it's because of us, the church. What type of witness do we have? Are you like Jesus? Are we like Jesus? I don't think the world thinks very highly of Christians because of so much hypocrisy. See, Daniel here is kind of cool. Even though the Bible identifies him in Ezekiel 14.20 as a, as a really righteous guy, one of the top three, so to speak, in the, in the whole world, he identified with the sins of the people. He said, not they have sinned, he said, we have sinned, and we got to have that same heart, right? Look at verse 5. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. What is that right there? Well, that is Daniel saying we have not obeyed the Bible. We have departed from your precepts. We have departed from your judgments. It's so important. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to read the Bible and heed the Bible, how important it is to learn the Bible, to love the Bible, and then to live the Bible. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for us to be a people who love this word. And we're in it and we're saturating ourselves in it. Like Psalm 1 says, blessed is that man who meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know, his leaves won't wither. Whatever he does will prosper. He says, man, what happened? We have left the Bible. You go to some churches today, you don't even need to take your Bible. You know, they might put one verse on the screen and the rest is some psychological, sociological talk, motivational speech. No, give me the Bible and test everything I say by the Bible. And that's why it's important. I encourage you to have it and read along with me. Acts chapter 17, they were good Bereans and they tested everything Paul said by the Bible. But they didn't listen to the Bible. They didn't listen to the written word. They neglected it. And then we read in verse 6, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. They did not heed God's written word, and they did not heed God's, so to speak, oral word. When God sent someone, God said, Hey, you, go over there and tell him that he's, he needs to get right with the Lord. And so when someone goes over there and tells him, Hey, you need to get right with the Lord. They wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't pay attention. You know, and don't you know the Lord sends people our way? Don't you know that when you turn on that radio station and you're listening to that study by whoever it is, and you're like, oh, what a great message. Don't you know that message was for you to change your life? But you're like, yeah, I like the message, but you didn't heed it. What he's saying to the people of God is they had ignored the written word. They ignored the the messengers that were sent to them. God is speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And I believe he's specific in what we need to do. And it could be sins that we need to repent of. It could be steps of faith that we need to to take. It could be areas of ministry. It could be words of encouragement. I don't know, but I do know that the Holy Spirit is always speaking to us But a lot of times we're just not listening. And Daniel was just saying, you guys, that's what we've done, Lord. We haven't heeded your written word or your oral word. As a matter of fact, in 2 Chronicles 36, 15 and 16, it says, And the Lord God of the Father sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. 
But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at the prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. What a terrible place to be where God says, I really can't do, I can't do, I can't do anything else now except to take you out of the land that I planted you in. The land flowing with milk and honey. And for me, it's not necessarily a physical land. To me, it's that place, man. That place of blessing. That beautiful, beautiful place of blessing. And so God said, man, because you haven't paid attention, I have to do this. Look at verse 8. It says, Oh Lord, to us belongs shame of face. To our kings, our princes, and our fathers, Because we have sinned against you, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled. That's a strong word, huh? Against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. You know, the thing that I, I want to share with you guys, and I, and I hope that you don't take it the wrong way, only because, not because I'm worried about what you'll think, but because I want God to do a good work in you, is that we need to confess our sins, and if we do, he'll forgive us. It says right here that there's mercy. Look at verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and and forgiveness. You know? Psalms 86 verse 5 says, You are... Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Imagine that. God's ready to forgive. He says, hey, man, I want to forgive you. I'm ready to forgive. All you have to do is mourn over your sins. That's all you have to do is weep. Look at what they've done. I'm ready to forgive, God says. All you have to do is confess them and get right with me. I'm ready to forgive, God says. And God says, I'm abundant in mercy to all those who call upon him. Psalm 86, verse 5. Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It's so cool to know that, right? And so, you know, this is what they had done. And so in verse 11, it says, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. And and then there's the word, therefore. Therefore, God kept his promise. You know, God said, hey, I need to give you, if you guys do this, I'm going to give you a trancaso. And you know how we are with our kids? We're like, yeah, I'm going to spank you if you do that. And your kids are like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Count to 10. 1, 2, 3, 11. You know, or God's not like that. God says, I love you. And I've learned this over life. I, I think I, by nature, tend to be a little bit probably too gracious. And I say that to my, to my, just, uh, it's, 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 it can be a, a flaw. It can be a sin because we need to bring people to that place of understanding the discipline that's necessary in life. Discipline is important. We can't have our kids running around, bouncing off the walls. They should be under control, Right? Uh, but what ends up happening is we're, we, I don't know, we're more gracious than God. And what we need to do is we need to have that heart of understanding. God said, well, if you do this in Leviticus 26, and if you do this in Deuteronomy 28, then I'm going to do this. And then what ended up happening was God God actually kept his promise, right? <laughs> you have kept your word and done to our rulers exactly as you warned Look at verse 8. It says, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers. You know, 
that's the thing, you guys. Just coming to that place of humility, coming to that place of brokenness, understanding that God is able to forgive when we come to that place of repentance. And then you want to know what God wants to do? Huge, huge, amazing, massive, you know, earth-changing and rocking the world in man and just invasion of the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to kind of come to that place, I think, where we really step it up to the next level. Verse 13 says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from your iniquities and understand your truth. I mean, it's so cool to read the Bible and just to see the way that God provides opportunities for us. So they're going through this thing for 70 years, right? 70 years. And again, there's a sentence for the land and, you know, they had not enjoyed its Sabbaths. And and at the same time, there seems also to be an explanation here. Daniel was saying, you know, all this has happened to us, but we haven't sought you. We haven't prayed. We haven't turned from our ways the way that we should all as it is written, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from your, our iniquities and, and understand you know, your truth, your ways, who you are. And I think of like John chapter 16. I don't know why that verse just came to me. Until now, Jesus said, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. To ask in Jesus' name, it, it doesn't. It's not just a tag. Like in Jesus' name, I don't get the big house. You know, in Jesus' name, we're gonna have the big church. You watch, or we're gonna have slides. No, I'm just joking. We're, gonna, you know, it's not like that. You know, that's not what asking in Jesus' name means. Asking in Jesus' main name actually means asking in Jesus' power, in Jesus' nature. These are things that Jesus wants for your life. I mean, that where he would sign that, oh, yeah, I approve of that request. And wh- what we got to do is kind of come to that place. And Jesus said, until now, you haven't done it. Now, I want you to start doing it. I want you to start finding out what I want for your life. Not what you want for your life, what I want for your life. And you start asking in Jesus' name, in Jesus' nature, in Jesus' will. And then what ends up happening is when you come to that place in your life, he says, and then... <laughs> Your joy will be full. And that's kind of like what Daniel was saying. You know, until now, we haven't really prayed the way that we should. We haven't really turned from our sins and sought you to understand your truth. And so now he's, he's beginning to do that. You know, what we find in verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind, And brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Notice all the different ways Daniel acknowledges their sin. You know, he says, we have sinned. We have sinned. He says that that three times. That can be a hard thing to say sometimes, huh? For some people. You can't say, I have sinned. Try it. Try it saying, I have sinned. Let's try it together. I have sinned. Huge words that will change your life. What do we usually say? He has sinned. She has sinned. They have sinned. How about I have sinned? How about we have sinned? You know, uh, David said that after a year and a half. He never said it. He just covered his sin until Nathan came, confronted him. And what did David finally say? I have sinned. Later on, he numbered the people. Don't ever number the people. But he numbered the people. And then, again, confronted, paying the price. People are dying. I have sinned. You know, I was talking to a young man that came in the other day. You know, he kind of lost everything. He, he said he lost his girl. He lost his job. He lost his place. 
he used to come to here, you know, about a year ago, and he just kind of drifted away. And it was kind of funny because the first thing I, I saw him, and I'm, I'm not just exaggerating, but I was talking to him, and I said, hey, where you been? I mean, honestly thought like he lived in Orange County or something, or was it Whittier? I wasn't sure where he lived. I said, hey, where you been? And I was literally thinking of some geographical, physical location. And you know what he said to me? He said, I've been lost. And immediately I thought of the prodigal son. And so we went over Luke chapter 15, and we're talking about how that prodigal son, you know, one day he left. He took the inheritance with him. In other words, I don't really respect you, Father. Uh, It doesn't even matter if you live or die. Just give me my inheritance and give it to me now. So he goes and he wastes it on prodigal living and, you know, doing all those things. Then there's a famine in the land. He loses all his money. He can't find a job. Finally, he finds a job where he's able to eat the pig food. But then he comes to his senses. And he says, hey, wait a minute. I know that my father's servants, they eat better food than this. All I have to do is go home. And I just tell my dad, say, hey, dad. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy to be under your roof. Just hire me as one of your servants. And so what does he do? He goes and he heads home and and the father sees him from a distance. And the father runs to him. And the, the, the son, he falls to his knees. And you know what he says? I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. And what did the father do? The father put a ring on his finger. He put sandals on his feet. He put a robe on him. And he commanded his servants to kill the fatted calf. He said, because my son was dead and he's alive again. My son was lost. And now he's found. And the Bible says that God rejoices when one sinner repents. You know, we see an altar call and we say only one. Only one person got saved today. And when God sees a one, he kills the fatted calf. And there might be one person here today and you need Jesus and you drifted away you're not right it's time to get right Jesus died for you you got to give your life to the Lord and I want you to know it'll be worth it you know he said we have sinned we have sinned we have sinned We have sinned. Daniel said it four times in his three-minute prayer. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity, he said. We have done wickedly. We have departed from your word, O Lord God. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. We've been unfaithful. We have rebelled. We have not obeyed. We have transgressed your law. We have not obeyed your voice. We have done wickedly. We've sinned. And we've committed even iniquities. He's mentioned the iniquities of their father. See, and and what we find, you guys, is this is things, these are things that God will take to heart and God will bless. And so the, the request finally begins. He says, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem. You know, because Psalm 79 verse 4 said, We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to those who are around us. And so he he prays there in verse 16, O Lord, according to all your unrighteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and all your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. 
Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. See, before we get into the prophecy, Lord willing, we'll, we'll be there next week. Um, we got to deal with the sin. You know, we got to kind of that simple understanding of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Of John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, what? You keep my commandments. If we obey God, he will bless our lives. The Bible talks about that, the blessings for obedience, but then the cursings for disobedience. You know, and part of it is, yeah, God, you know, waves his hand and, you know, things happen from on high. A lot of it's already written into the code of our creation. The laws of the land just say, hey, when you sin, you're going to suffer. You know, if we go and we get high and we get drunk and, you know, they say that 90% of murders commit are committed by people who are drunk and, you know, you're going to hurt somebody. I know a man who got drunk, drove, he killed somebody, manslaughter. You got to live the rest of your life with stuff like that. You know, I mean, you, you sin, it's just going to naturally mess things up. And it begins with little sins, little compromises. You start looking at girls. You say, hey, you know, she's pretty. Hey, she's fine. And next thing you know, you know, I mean, we have to train ourselves as men. Girls probably too, but guys especially because we're very visual. Your eyes bounce off those things. You start seeing a girl over there, whatever, you see a silhouette. And you're like, hey, I wonder what she looks like. You know, don't do that. I mean, if you see the silhouette or hear the high hills and look the other way, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And your eyes bounce off that because what ends up happening is when you start looking, then you start lusting. Next thing you know, you're wanting to kind of like maybe dive into a little bit of pornography. Next thing you know, you start getting a little too friendly with the lady at work because you think you can handle your animal passions and you can't. Next thing you know, you have committed adultery. You have ruined your family, your kids. I mean, there's thank God we serve the God of the second chance. But do you realize what you've done? And then there's the sins of commission, but then there's the sins of omission. And God says, Mijo, it's time to get on your knees. Time to get up out of bed, sleepyhead. God says that. And you have victory over the alarm clock, over the snooze button. And you pray. You start praying like you should. And, and the blessings that God will bring to a life of obedience. But the cursings that we bring to ourselves is really what this chapter is all about. And Daniel's just saying it's time, you know, to seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It really is. And when you do, if you do, oh man, you watch. The windows of heaven will open and truckloads of blessings will come to you and your family. See? But we got to get real. Get out of the world. For those of you who are so caught up and you are enmeshed and you are entrenched with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, you will forever regret such decisions. Only one life Soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Daniel's praying and he's praying. And, he's, and I love what he says. He says, so Lord, so that you can just let your face shine upon this sanctuary again. And I think of the ironic blessing. How the Lord told Moses to tell Aaron, this is the way I want you to bless my people. Bless my people. It says in Numbers 6, 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace. God, in other words, God say, I want to bless your life. So when I look at your life and I love you, God says, nothing you can do to change my love for you. I love for you. But the things that we're doing, the things that we're engaged in, the heart that we have, so that God would look on us and and uh, and just he would smile. He would smile. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you like to see other people smile? Isn't it wonderful? I pray that prayer like for certain people that don't smile too often. I honestly do. I pray, Lord, make them smile. <laughs> and I tell you what, to see God smile, to see God smile, I tell you what, that's what I want. That's what I want the most. And that's what Daniel, Daniel is praying. Lord, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes, O oh Lord, and see. And God is that type of God. Let me give you seven things real quick. And there's a lot of things that you can take away. I'm sure that nothing's exhaustive. But if you are taking notes, so you can go home and maybe follow through on some things. Number one, study God's word. Study God's word. Read it and heed it. Learn it and love it and live it. You study God's word. You know, maybe you're reading other magazines and maybe you're on the internet a lot. Maybe you're watching television and maybe it's time to take a break from, you know, some if not all those things. Study God's word. Number two, seek God with all of your heart. Seek God with all of your heart, not just part of your heart, all of your heart. Number three, pray and fast. Pray and fast. You know, and of course we always talk about how fasting has to be spirit-led, but that's not, you know, if you should fast. It's just, you know, when and how. God will show you the details. But if you're not fasting, I don't think you're really seeking the Lord. Number four, obey God's written word. Of course, when you study it, you don't just want to get a lot of, you know, knowledge. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So you want to study it and you want to, you know, obey And then number five, obey God's word given by his messengers. So he's talking to you. And you're like, hey, I really like that study by Pastor Chuck. That's cool. But what are you going to do about it? Right? Number six, deal with any and all sin in your life. Deal with it. How many of you guys are procrastinators? A lot of you are. I like what one guy said. He said, I'll raise my hand later. That was funny. <laughs> you know, what do we do a lot of times is we put we sweep it under the carpet. We sweep it under the carpet. No, deal with the sin in your life now. Any of it and all of it. Confess it and forsake it. And the number seven, you know, bring your request to God. And so, Lord, bless the land. We read there about how God had taken his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And then they got expelled from the promised land. And so the same God that saved us, and maybe we've drifted away, is the God that can bring us back you know, to where we belong. And that, to me, is an awesome thought. You know, the king uh, of... When we read about it earlier, King Frederick... He was impressed with guilty pleas. And we know that's how Jesus is, how our advocate. As a matter of fact, those are the only cases he takes. Are you guilty? Have you sinned? If you're here today and you say, no, I haven't sinned, then you're, you're lying, man. And that's a sin right there, okay? We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's hell. That's justice. But the gift of God is eternal life. And God wants to give you a gift today if you don't know Jesus. And even if it's just one person here today, you have never really given your life to the Lord. You've been coming to church, but you don't even know if you're real. What are you waiting for? I pray that today would be the day of salvation. It's free. I know it's hard to believe, but if you just raise your hand, if you just pray that prayer, then God will save you. God will write your name in the book of life. So as we partake of communion, uh, let's pray together. Lord, 
We thank you for today. We thank you for your word, Lord. And I just pray, Father God, that you would continue just to pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for my own life, Lord. I get to teach the message, but, Lord, um, I have to live it. I have to go home. I have to get on my knees. I have to get on my face. I have to deal with the sin in my life. I pray everyone here would have that heart. But my heart really goes out today to anyone here who doesn't know you. Lord, you know, the devil and the world and the flesh, they're here, Lord, to destroy lives. But you are here to save. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would save lives. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't even know for sure if you would go to heaven when you die. What I want you to do if you want to receive Jesus is I want you to raise your hand so that we can pray for you. That's how you take that step of faith. Whoever you are, you might be the only person, but if you give your life to Christ, then heaven, all heaven will rejoice. And so if you want to receive the Lord, thank you, Jesus, for that hand that went up. Thank you, Lord, for that hand that went up. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. Thank you, Lord, for those hands that have gone up. Anyone else? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But you've got to take that step of faith.